Biden administration believes that we can safely reopen schools as we process a prioritization to our teachers of vaccinations and still keep our teachers, our paraprofessionals, which means bus drivers, our cafeteria workers, janitors that are essential workers to making our schools work safe and keep our kids safe at the same time. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio, and our sponsors, the Chamberlain Family Foundation and the Capsonel Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. That was Governor Newsom talking vaccines at a briefing this week at the Oakland Coliseum, which is set to become a mass vaccination site starting in a couple of weeks. Clearly, vaccines are critical to getting control over the pandemic, but they've also now become a flashpoint in reopening schools, and especially the question of whether teachers and staff should be vaccinated before they set foot back into schools. Newsom said reopening can be done safely, especially for young students, without requiring staff vaccinations. The new director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, said the same thing. But the California Teachers Association and other employee unions say it should be a condition for going back. We'll delve into this issue with E. Toby Boyd, president of the California Teachers Association and Sacramento County Superintendent of Schools, Dave Gordon. But first, a first-of-its-kind lawsuit that grabbed headlines this week, and I'm sure all of you read about. The city of San Francisco shockingly sued its own school district, uh, the school board and the superintendent, over their failure to reopen schools for in-person instruction. Next month, it will be a year since any student in the district, including its most struggling students, have been in school. And Mayor London Breed and city attorney Dennis Herrera went to court in an attempt to force the district to open some of its schools for in-person instruction. Lewis, it's not clear what a lawsuit will achieve, and it certainly appears to be souring relations between the city and the district. Well, that's an understatement, John. But it has, on the other hand, drawn attention to the growing frustration of some, not all, parents who are desperate to get their children back into the school campuses out of distance learning. And, for sure, it will catch the notice of a legislature, which is now negotiating with Governor Newsom over when and if the state should require districts to reopen and how much funding to give them for testing and other safety measures to help them reopen. Well, we are very pleased to have on the line Superintendent of the San Francisco School District, Superintendent Vincent Matthews. He was named in the lawsuit along with the school board. He grew up in San Francisco, graduated from high school there. He has been superintendent in San Jose, Oakland, and Inglewood, and he's now returned to San Francisco, the state's eighth largest district with 53,000 students. Welcome, Superintendent Matthews. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. You've indicated that the district does have a plan for reopening schools. Could you just briefly describe what that plan is. And if there is a plan, do you think schools might actually open for in-person instruction during the current school year? Yes, we do have a plan. It's been on our website uh, since December. Uh, What's in the plan is all of the steps that we've taken around health and safety. So we want to make sure that the community knows what's in place, whether that be uh, PPE or making sure that our teachers and staff and parents know the modules 
how to register for schools. All those kinds of things are in our plan. That's the first part. And then the second part of the plan is around what the day could possibly look like for our students once they return to school. And we're currently in talks with our labor partners around both of those issues. But all of that is in the plan. And so, as you just said, there's a lawsuit that actually says that we canceled the plan, which is just completely incorrect. Well, the district was supposed to open some schools in January, and then things got delayed. Was that because the pandemic was out of control, or were there other factors as well? Yeah, there were a number of factors. One, uh, we were at the highest levels of the surge. The date was January 25th. We were in what the state has now deemed a deep purple, so it's even higher than the levels that they had put on their, their maps. We also, at that time, were learning about vaccines being on the horizon. These are just a couple of the factors, but these many factors caused us to reassess the plan. We're in the first week of February. What do you think realistically are the chances of schools opening for in-person instruction? I mean, for those parents who want their kids back in school. But what's the lay of the land right now? Maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but I still believe that we have that opportunity. So I do believe that uh, before the end of the year, we will return to in-person learning, especially for our youngest learners and those who we have struggled to engage. Superintendent, what would you say to parents and those who are not as optimistic because they say the district missed the window of opportunity in the fall when San Francisco was one of the few districts that actually was in yellow, the minimum level of infection for a while, and also orange, and you didn't open then. So why should they feel that you will open somehow this spring? A big part of this is we had to agree and we have to agree with our labor partners on what safe looks like. And we weren't as close as we are right now to agreeing on what the conditions needed to be. Sites that weren't readily available in September are now because we've done everything, gotten the the distancing, gotten the PPE and the sanitizer and everything that we need in those sites. So we are much further along. The sites are ready and we're closer to agreeing with our labor partners on what SAFE looks like so we can't open those doors. So what would you say is the biggest obstacle you face? What we're trying to do is get to a place where we can agree on what a safe environment looks like. That's something that we've never had to do. At the same time that we're delivering distance learning, at the same time that we're now defending a frivolous lawsuit. So these are all things we haven't had to do and we're having to do in the middle of a pandemic. It's obvious how complex it is, because if you look at the large urban districts throughout this state, they have not returned to in-person learning as of today. You you mentioned that this was a frivolous lawsuit. Could you explain what you mean by frivolous? Is it because of who is suing, because there's no basis, or because somehow when it even gets to court, you'll either be open or you won't? On what basis? Yeah, I, so just what you just said, I'd say it's the it's the middle, uh, and it's just there's no basis. One, the my understanding, because it still hasn't been delivered, but my understanding is the lawsuit is around us not having a plan or ha- us having canceled the plan, and that is incorrect. I'd say the other piece, though, is, as I said, this is a complex problem, and if you're really trying to solve a complex problem, my office is literally 100 yards from Dennis Herrera's office. He could have walked 100 yards and he could have said, these are the issues that we see with your plan. I've not met him. My first meeting of him is through him filing a lawsuit. And so if you're about trying to solve a problem, you get together and say, these are the issues what I have. If you're trying to get uh, headlines, you, you file a lawsuit.
Uh, were you given a heads up about the lawsuit at least? Absolutely not. So you read about it in the paper like the rest of us? I found out about it uh, in the papers. In that lawsuit, the city says, we do have skin in the game. We provided community hubs for a couple thousand students at our expense. And the district, meanwhile, has not brought anybody back to campus. So we are a partner. What would you say to that? I'd say just what I just said. Partners, uh, if there's an issue, they sit down and figure out the issue. If I put concrete on my driveway and it's five feet too far over my neighbor's, I would hope my neighbor would come to me and say, you've gone too far. You've gone over the easement. Let's sit down and figure out what we're going to do, as opposed to I find out that I've offended you by you filing a lawsuit. The, so the frivolous for me is now we're we're going to spend time working on this as opposed to actually working on delivering high quality distance learning as well as implementing plans to bring students back. We've been talking with Superintendent Vincent Matthews from the San Francisco Unified School District. Thanks for talking with us today. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Let's turn now to hear directly from the head of the California Teachers Association, E. Toby Boyd, to explain why the CTA thinks that vaccines are essential for teachers who are already back in the classroom and that they should be made available to other teachers before they return to schools that are opening for the first time. Teachers are on the priority list in the state to get the vaccines, but very few have received them. Welcome, Toby Boyd. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yesterday, the governor clarified or made explicit his policy on vaccinations and said that it's not necessary to vaccinate all teachers before we reopen schools for at least elementary schools and they're determined to be safe. What's, what's your position on vaccination and who should be vaccinated first? Well, the educators that are in front of the students right now should be vaccinated. And there should be testing taking place to make sure that the virus itself is not entering into the school site. If districts are going to plan on opening, they need to make sure that the educators that are going to be in front of the classes when they reopen have the vaccination. Now, all this is under the premise that the educator who is involved will want to have that vaccine because it's their personal choice. And so then that's going to be something that's going to have to be dealt with. But your position then is that teachers should be vaccinated before they go back because you've, you've heard the governor said and now the CDC yesterday says, oh, we shouldn't wait for that, that it is possible to go back even without the vaccine. Yes, they should be vaccinated, but it's just part of the layer, the multi-layered methods in order to mitigate the virus itself. I understand the position, but in terms of timing, it's a two-shot vaccination plus an additional week or two before it takes effect. So we're really talking about six weeks from the time that you get your first shot to the time that you're ready to go back to school. So we're talking about maybe mid-April or at the earliest in some cases. I think that's the balance between time and safety that may be one of the reasons they say, no, it's, you don't have to be fully vaccinated before you return to school, knowing that it takes you into late spring. We feel that the vaccine is available. We feel that it is part of that multi-layer process in order to mitigate it. And so that is important to us. We're talking with E. Toby Boyd, president of the California Teachers Association. The CTA did put out a statement about 100 days. It wasn't totally clear. Were you saying, well, teachers shouldn't go back for 100 days or what? Do you have a 100-day timeline? The 100 days is to allow us to get the pandemic under control better than what it is right now, especially in those areas that are higher than others. 
So it's a process in which we say, okay, give us 100 days so that we can make sure we have all the necessary protocols in place, the vaccine, the ventilation, the mask wearing, all the things that needs to be in place. Let's get that in place and make sure that it's safe for our students and for our employees before we get back into. So it's just making sure that we have a plan in place in order to do so. Wait, are you saying that teachers and other school staff shouldn't go back for 100 days? That would be, obviously, that would take us pretty much to the end of the school year. What if things improve before 100 days? Or it take longer than 100 days? Well, if they improve it before the 100 days and they have all the necessary mitigating layers in place, yes, we can get back faster. But it, because it's going to take some time in order to get everything in place, it's not going to happen tomorrow. We know that. It's not going to happen within a week. We know the resources aren't going to be there because you're going to have to purchase the items. You're going to have to make sure that the ventilation is in place. You're going to make sure that the contact tracing and the testing is in place. So all those things have to be planned out, and it's not going to happen within 10 days. And so we just and so we gave 100 days in case that if it's shorter, then yes, we'll get back into session. But if it takes longer, it just gives people time so it's not rushed and it can be truly mapped out in a very logical, strategic way. But 100 days would effectively take you to the end of the school year. We'd be in May by then. Well, we should have been planning for this back in June. And then that 100 days would not be affecting where we are at this day. Toby, the biggest criticism I hear when I talk to superintendent, in fact, everyone uses the same analogy. With CTA and the unions, they're always moving the goalposts back. And I think they'll point to the 100 days as, here it is, here's another thing, 100 days. Or yesterday, you came out with, uh, all the unions came out with a proposal which stipulates uh, when schools should go back. It's a very detailed plan, one of which says districts should not be ordered to go back until it's yellow, which I hadn't heard before. Could you respond to that general criticism that, you know, you really don't want to go back and we're constantly changing what it is that the unions are requesting or requiring? Our position has always been the same, safety. When we first started out, because we didn't know much about the virus, we were going with the experts and we were going down the path with them. So when we learned more about the virus, when we learned about more about how do we mitigate this virus, we've always stated that it's safety. And so every time the experts stated that this is what's needed in order to ensure safety, that's what we were going for. We haven't changed our goalposts. So it's not us making the decisions because we're not the experts. We're dependent upon those people that know what's going on with the virus and how to mitigate it. Why yellow? Why wait until the minimum risk to order schools to go back? Well, I'm hoping that it wouldn't come down to just yellow when we, when we are told to go back, that in between the red and the orange, that there would be the necessary items in place, that there would be memorandums of understandings or agreements between the district, the association, and the communities where they would be able to open. So the red and the orange would be where the work would be occurring, but the yellow, I, you know, I don't see anyone waiting until that time for it to occur to say, okay, you have to go back. This position papers that you and the other unions put out, that does not represent the position that all your local affiliates would take necessarily. Is that correct? That's, I mean, that's true. I imagine many of them have taken different positions already because there are quite a few districts that teachers are back in school. That, that is correct. 
So again, it's just our recommendations for associations for our members. And it's just a guiding post in order for them to say, okay, these are the things that need to be in place. Let's negotiate. Let's see where we are. Understanding that our end game is to make sure it's safe for our students and everyone else involved. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with E. Toby Boyd, president of the California Teachers Association. Thanks for talking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. The big question that districts face is when they can expect to begin to vaccinate teachers. Governor Newsom affirmed that teachers are a priority, along with farm and food workers and emergency workers and everyone over 65. Yes, John, those are the ones on the so-called Phase 1B list. And that's a lot of people, millions of them, actually. And it's up to county public health departments to decide when teachers will get their shot in the arm. In some counties, teachers are being vaccinated. In others... They haven't seen any vaccines yet. So we're now returning to Dave Gordon, Sacramento County Superintendent of Schools, who's not sitting around waiting for a vaccine. He's planning ahead. Welcome, Superintendent. Thank you. Happy to be with you. So you're not vaccinating teachers in your county just yet, right? No, the county has not given us clearance yet to have the educator group become a priority. We're hoping for that very, very soon. So you sent a a letter a couple weeks ago, signed by the superintendents in your county, to Governor Newsom asking him to make teachers a priority. He says they are. What else can he do? Well, I think what we want to do is make sure that if we're going to get the 25,000 or so educators vaccinated in a timely fashion, we've got to start quickly and we've got to make them a priority, in addition to the 65-plus folks. So what have you done to prepare for these clinics? Well, we've had a great partnership with our public health department, uh, Dr. Kassiri and, and her team throughout this whole process. So we're partnering with them to help put together vaccination sites where we can expedite vaccinating our educators when they become a priority, but also uh, have sites that are available to the community as well. And and contribute volunteers and and other things to that overall effort. So when that moment comes, how long would it take to vaccinate most of your teachers? Uh, Boy, we hope we can do it within two weeks. Now that's a pretty optimistic goal, but I think we'll have a very, very efficient system, which everybody has bought into our school districts, our health department, and we'll push on to, to try to meet that goal. If you had to guess, Dave, when do you expect vaccinations to arrive? Well, we're very hopeful based on conversations with our public health director, Dr. Kassiri, uh, in the next week or two, uh, we would start educators as a priority, as a priority group. As you know, uh, in this whole pandemic situation, it, time is a moving target and, and uh, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. We're talking with Dave Gordon, County Superintendent of Schools in Sacramento County. Well, we just heard from E. Toby Boyd, who's head of the California Teachers Association, and they are more or less saying they are not encouraging teachers to go back unless they've been vaccinated. Are you hearing that that's an issue in your districts? And just how many districts in your county? We have 13 districts, of which six of them are relatively large, 15,000 and over, and the rest are relatively small, 5,000 and and fewer. So no, we have not heard about the vaccinations yet. 
Many, if not most of our districts have memoranda of understanding for reopening when our county reaches a safe spot along the continuum of uh, new cases. Got all these colors, right? Is that red, orange, yellow? In most cases, it's it's the red. It's the red, yes. okay. So infection rates are going to have to come down quite a bit anyway, right? Because most of your districts are presumably in... All, all are in purple at the moment, right? Yes, most, li- most likely they will have to come down. There's, there's a couple of them that have opened, some of the smaller ones. One of the larger ones has elementary schools open. But for the most part, you're correct. You mentioned there are existing memorandums of understanding in mo- many of these districts. I'm assuming that vaccinations are not a safety measure that is required because when these were being negotiated months ago, vaccinations weren't an issue. They were not on the scene. So the vast majority of students are not in session right now. Are you feeling a lot of pressure to open up schools for those students, for many of those those who want? Absolutely, because our, our kids do need to be back in school. You know, many of our kids, especially our most vulnerable kids, our most needy kids, need that contact with their peers, with their, with their teachers and so on. So it is very important. Well, Superintendent, we hope the timing is right, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, and and thank you. Thank you for all your support for uh, schools throughout the state. Well, John, this is obviously an enormously complicated issue, and we are now entering the second week of February. Most school districts start kind of winding down in May, and really... Looking at the larger landscape, I am very dubious that students in large numbers will be returning to school during the current school year. And I just think uh, school districts should really be focusing on making distance learning as rewarding and effective a strategy as possible, because most students in California are now learning via distance learning, and it just seems like that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. Well, I'm not giving up yet, Lewis. I think that rates may decline quite quickly over the next six weeks. And so I hope, given what we've been talking about today, that vaccinations or a lack of vaccinations for staff are not the reason that we can't reopen schools. Well, you know, there might be some middle ground there. I think uh, everybody's focused on getting kids back into school for hybrid or two days a week or even five days a week, but maybe just even one day a week. One of the biggest concerns is that kids are not having contact with their peer groups. And this has been really hard on the mental health of many students. So so maybe coming up with ways to bring students back to school campuses for activities short of a full instructional schedule might be one way to go. One last thought on vaccinations. If You can't vaccinate all 300,000 teachers and tens of thousands of additional staff. Look to see which teachers would go back to school first, elementary elementary teachers, and then perhaps those of struggling teachers. Make sure they're the first ones to get the initial clinics and then hold clinics as we can for other teachers. Well, the next few weeks are going to be just crucial. And of course, the larger issue is that the rates have to come down, as you point out. Right now, most school districts in the state wouldn't be able to open because they are in deep purple, which under state regulations means they have to continue with distance learning unless they've already opened before. And I think on that note, uh, we need to end this podcast on this usually difficult and emotional issue. 
Thanks to our producer, Kobe McDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and its source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Finsterwald. Thanks for listening. Stay well. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>